So we just kept saying, and Brad and I, I remember, I do remember this conversation. We said, listen, we're like bargaining with the universe. We said, listen, if, if we can get through this, then we just want to be the story of hope for one other person. Welcome to episode five of Threads Unseen, unraveling a story of trauma. This episode is called Tomorrow Finds Hope, a deeply meaningful title that comes from a story we'll share a little later. I'm your host, Sherry Fella, CEO and founder of Bloombase, Brad Swearingen's executive coach, and your narrator on this journey of unraveling trauma. Over four episodes, we've followed the unseen threads of trauma as experienced by the Swearingen family, starting with the injury of the youngest child, Gavin, at age two. As a family and as individuals, they continue on a lifetime cycle of learning of how to cope and how to hope, to take steps forward and back and to find what's next. This is a story of trauma and remarkably a story of miracles, a rarity not often associated with trauma like Gavin's, which is why he is one of five miracles in this story. Him, his two sisters, and his two parents, and dare I say six miracles, the sixth being their family and their ability to move forward as they grow together. I feel so honored that they chose to share this story, their story. My hope in that sharing this story is that if there's another family out there who wants to know that it's going to be okay, may not work out the way that you think, wants to know that it's going to be okay, or especially if there's another dad out there who's struggling with this need to shoulder everything and not let their emotions out, I want you to know that one, that you can make it through today, and two, when you're ready, and please be ready soon, get help. And it's an important step. So to whatever parent is listening, those are probably the most important things you can do. It's the hope. It's absolutely the hope. Because when we were in our darkest hour and I was bargaining and begging and rationalizing and, and just searching for anything. I remember saying to myself and to Brad, there has to be hope out there somewhere. It has to be there. And we are so, so fortunate to be sitting right here in this space. And we have gotten more than what we ever could have dreamed to me, the only logical next step is to help bring hope for other families and other people because it's giving back. But not everyone in the story was quite as receptive to this podcast idea as Brad and Amanda. This is from my first sit down with sisters Allie and Kenna. First, I just want to know, what did it feel like to be asked to do this podcast? Were you excited or didn't, wasn't sure? How are you feeling even right now? about doing this? I did not want to do it. I thought it was an outrageous idea. I was furious with my parents for even considering putting the story out there. My mom brought a good perspective of if I had been able to hear something like this eight years ago, that maybe it would have been easier. And then I talked to friends and family, and they all kind of had the same response. So it was like a gentle acceptance, I think. Yeah. Ali, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think it, I mean, obviously takes a lot of courage for your whole family, especially you as little girls 
when this happened to do this. So when you said you were first furious about that, what was it? You just didn't want to talk about it or yeah, what made it seem outrageous to you? I think the invasion of privacy was uh, what I felt of it was our story and not anyone else's. I also agree. I didn't I didn't want to do it either cuz we never we never record anything and the only time we've been online was when Gavin was on the news. Mm. And there's nothing else on us. It's like maybe a sentence online. Yeah. So all of a sudden having well, like our whole eight years of story is a little bit overwhelming. It's part of the reason the podcast was so startling was because quite literally no one, not even my parents, have ever asked for our version of the story. Because we thought it was going to be about, oh, is there going to be another thing about Gavin where you're just going to listen to his story? Yeah. And then maybe get like two sentences of us. If it's one like nine-year-old or an older sister who feels the protectiveness and the struggling to understand and yes. feels like you're drowning almost in the moment, then if it helps at least one person, then the story is worth it. As awkward and as uncomfortable as it may yes. be. We actually talked about this at dinner. We have dinner together every night as a family and because it's just something that is really important to, to both Brad and I. And we were talking about it last night and Gavin was really funny because he was like, okay, I'm going to tell them my story and this is what it is. And we were like, actually, this time, we're not just telling your story. And he kind of looked at me and he's like, why? <laughs> like, he didn't understand. He was like, well, like, but it's my story. And McKenna said, this time we're going to talk about what we all felt during that. And I was like, yeah, that's that's what this is to me. Like, it is the time we have gotten through, we've gotten this far where the reality of it is we don't talk about that as much about everything that kind of happened behind the scenes and, and what was going on. Amanda's therapist, Gloria Hood, was also skeptical. How did you feel about that as Amanda's therapist doing this? Was there concern? Oh, oh, I, or? I, I was initially protective but then I soon trusted her judgment. Amanda doesn't, she has very good judgment. And as she talked about doing the podcast, she said that she felt really good about the people that she was working with and felt trusting and felt that their intentions were good and were to give back. And I knew that she had this theme of giving back. And so it seemed to be a really nice fit. I hope that. People can learn that it's okay to seek therapy, that it's good to seek therapy early on, and that it's good to seek good therapy. And if it doesn't feel right, then keep looking. But certainly also the whole aspect of resiliency and hope can be applied in this situation. So I would hope that it can give a message not just to parents who have children who've had a traumatic brain injury, but to people who are grieving, to people who have gone through other violence and other incidents in their life, that there is help out there and keep reaching out. All of the skepticism, protection really, was appreciated. I too was hesitant, cautious. My get it right muscle was really in force for this family. I'm not a trauma expert, 
but I knew enough to know this was no small thing to be visiting a space of trauma, which makes the bravery displayed in this story all the more gobsmacking. When I first spoke to Allie, she was remarkably clear about her feelings connected to this podcast. It was such sacred space even to explore this idea with her, and it felt like an honor to have her feel safe enough to talk even more about it. This is when the protection she has as a big sister was really expressed. How do you feel about the podcast now? It's better. I keep checking with him, just making sure that he's okay with all of it. Because it is personal. Like, it's his story. And it's ours, but it's, it's his body and it's him. And I never want him to feel like a burden. I'm so scared of that. Especially him growing and realizing that he's different has been like this last year where he's, he doesn't know anything else. I think it's really important to me that he doesn't feel like a burden or he would make us sad or something like that, which was why I was originally against the podcast was because I didn't want him to feel sad or I didn't want it to hurt him. And I told my mom, I said, if at any point he starts to feel hurt by this, I'm not doing it anymore. I just hope I can bring awareness or sensitivity into the world through it is what I would say. That's all I need to get out of it. I was able to talk with both girls together one more time. They reflected on what the experience of telling the story has been like for them. I just set clear boundaries for myself before entering anything. But I think the days after, one tiny push is all I need to go off the edge. I need to decompress and kind of work through everything that comes up. So it's not like in the moment I'll feel it. It's several days later I'll have a thought that'll connect back and then wow, can and I jam it out to some music. Yeah. I think that might be the hardest part about anything, not just a podcast, mm-hmm. but in general is when people don't know your limits. Like, because when the old neighborhood, people knew our limits. They would not go past them. But now people, like, in the hallways making jokes they can make you cry right there, and if they don't know your limits anymore and they can push you off them, that's the hard part is no one knows anymore, and you can't tell them because then it goes back to where you don't have any privacy and your face mask is lifted up. You're exposed that again. That was very, yeah, that was well put. We ended our last episode by recognizing that much of their trauma story had yet to emerge. Trauma does that. It appears on its schedule, not ours. As you might remember from our very first episode, Amanda pulled out some mementos that had long been stored in boxes. Some items Brad had never seen, never been able to look at. So when they went through those photos, reliving those moments for the first time, it was both hard and beautiful to witness. Of all of our conversations, this was the hardest because the hard wasn't unseen. It was on the faces of both Brad and Amanda. So in this big photo album, we start in this really scary photo. But down here at the end, one of these last photos is our son running cross country. There's an end to an album, but up here, this Brad that's holding him and this Amanda, this is just like, it's almost like it's a different person for me. Like... I, I want to, like, wrap those people in a hug and say, I have such good news. Like, he's going to run cross-country in fifth grade, 
and he's going to go backpacking with you. And you guys have so many more Christmases together and you have birthdays. Yeah. And you get to take him to Disney World and he's going to hug Mickey Mouse. Like, it's okay. Just, just hang on. It's okay. Right? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, the, the, the brand, that, that photo, that's just holding him for the first time. I mean, he, he was thinking about like, am I ever going to have a conversation with him again? Or are we going to have a father son catch or talk about life or are all those things gone? And, <laughs> yeah, you're just, I want to tell that that Brad that you, you can make it through today, and tomorrow will be okay. Yeah, and you know what? Looking back at this, like him holding him or Gavin taking three steps to me in this video, like that was enough. That was every day. That was just what right where we were it was just that was enough. And I never ever could have dreamed that we would get all the way down here to swimming in the pool and running cross country and going on vacation and all these Christmases and amazing things because right then all I wanted was just for him to hold on to my hand, right? Like, and that yeah. was enough. Yeah. Um, We've heard from the family that the Gavin from before is gone. The Gavin they have today is an active 10-year-old boy who's only just recently become curious about the details around his accident. And while the trauma is still ever-present every day, Gavin is living to his fullest, and so is his family. I was just busy so we can read the library. Yeah, buddy. We should definitely read that library. We got choice to make. Mammals think? are the first landing on space. I don't know. What, what, what do you think Neil Armstrong found on the moon when he got there? So, I actually, it had this in the book because I read it. You already read the book? At second out. That's all I could do. Oh, okay. And um, he, when he landed on the moon, he said, one small step for um, a little person, one giant leap for mankind. That's the sentence. He wrote that down and stuff. I mean, he was a baby when this happened, but he was a real shy baby. And um, after his accident, he turned, uh, like a flip switch turned in him and his personality just became, hey, look at me, here I am. Friends Jenny and Jim Toller have a lot of great stories about Gavin. So I can't remember what, what year it was, but he must have been maybe five or six. And he had all these old dads in some living room dancing He's like, no, get up, dance, get yeah. up, dance. And these guys would not, these guys would not get up and dance if their wives told them. But this little six-year-old boy was like, get up, dance, you're dancing with me. It's time, time to dance. <laughs> you could see how, how people could react to be, you know, overprotective of Gavin. And while they are protective of him, it's let's get all these experiences out there and going to do that in a, a safe way and be cautious. But let's go camping. Let's travel here. Let's go swimming. Let's go swimming again for the third time in the day. Try to keep active. And, and I think that's where you've, I mean, it's um, how you see Gavin and, and how he's flourished over time is that I think they've challenged him and Gavin just from his personality is willing to go do new things and, and wants to be just like everybody else. I still know in my heart, they don't know what the future looks like for Gavin. 
but I think they're becoming very brave about making their future happen right now. We don't know what Gavin's going to do in five or 10 years, but that's not going to stop them from going on a trip. That's not going to stop them paralyzing them from um, experiencing camping in the woods and hiking and doing swimming lessons or doing school activities out of fear. It's more of like, well, we're going to do it. I think it gives you that realization when you, you know, know somebody that has come through this kind of experience that just everything could change in the blink of an eye, you know, just kind of valuing what you have and, you know, whether it's your health and family and relationships that tomorrow could be different. But then on the same token, it's also, you know, the ability to, you know, when something or something does happen medically or, or otherwise, just the resilience that you see from the overall Swearingen family, we, we focus a lot, I think, on, on Gavin's recovery, which is phenomenal, but just how they've stayed together as a unit and as a whole family that um, you got to make sure you're kind of distributing the attention and love everywhere and, and everybody thrives coming out of that. So it's it's important. I think I personally have a subscribed to the idea that we act either out of fear or love and fear will stop us and love propels us forward. I do think that they acted out of fear at the beginning as everyone would, right. everyone would, um, because you just, you're blindsided. Now I think for the love of each other, the love of their family, the love of Gavin, they make their decisions out of love and not worrying about, well, I'm sure they worry about it, but basing their decision more on the love aspect than the fear aspect of, well, this could go wrong. Yeah. A lot of things could go wrong, but a lot of things can go right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what Gavin, a lot of things have gone right. So, Brad, throughout the podcast, you and Amanda in different ways also talked about how you kept getting from the doctors for Gavin and never do list. What's your never do list now? My principle for Gavin that I've learned is it is not my role to put limitations on him, to even in my mind of believing what he can and cannot do now and in the future. Because to be honest, he just keeps proving all of us wrong. <laughs> and the, the, that there was little point to keeping up with that never list. So I'm very proud of him and the girls and my wife and everyone around him for just being an amazing example for so many others. One of the things that stands out when you get to know the Swearingen's is that there's positivity. It's not sugar-coated. It is real. I talked to Amanda's therapist, Gloria Hood, about the challenges the family will always face. But just having a non-neurotypical child is, is a struggle in and of itself. So there's the down and dirty kind of, it is hard, but then there's also can be a desire to thrive. That's a word that people use a lot, is to thrive even if it's in moments, even if it's in really holding on to those times in life where you find things that you feel good about, connecting to your values, connecting to your the way you're living your life, and this kind of thing, the giving back and helping others. Yeah. I ask that question mostly for people listening that you're not over trauma or you don't get over grief, right? Because we all want things to be fun and light and happy and, okay, you're over that now. But that's not how trauma works, right? Right. 
And certainly seeing what Amanda's been through, what Amanda and Brad have been through, and the girls and Gavin, and how they have managed this and are coming through this has been an inspiration in my life as a person and experienced my own trauma, grief, things happen. It's, yeah. It is inspiring. Along with the witnessing, there are reminders of the inspiration this family continues to provide. Here is family friend Katie Abernathy. So while Amanda was, what was it, five, six weeks in Riley, daily sitting next to Gavin's bed, she's a very crafty, so she crocheted hearts. So it's a little purple crocheted heart that she gave me. And I think for several, I kept it in a coat pocket for several years, and now I keep it on my desk at my office. And it's just a good special reminder of our friendship. I mean, of course, it was really draining, but I mean, she was fully present in those moments with him as as they walked in that journey. Amanda's just very in, very committed to her family, for sure, to her kids and all of those kids being their authentic selves. She still found a way to have joy in her household, even in the midst of so much uncertainty. I'm sure she's tired. I think that would be like, There's probably some fatigue that is just in her bones and her spirit that she probably wouldn't have carried. Trauma is a masterful thief of joy. It is hard to find the light in any darkness, and yet this trauma story is full of light. The spark that gratitude provided continues to be an unseen thread throughout this journey. No, every night at dinner, we go around the table and say what we're grateful for. And it was originally what made you smile today, but we've, we've changed it throughout the years. And every night at dinner, no matter whose house we're at, the three of us will make everyone go around and say what you're grateful for. I love it. So you want to do what, I, what am I grateful for? Grateful. What am I grateful for? What are you grateful for today? Who's starting? Al? Nope. Al. <laughs> Not Al. Everybody seems to take a bite as soon as I ask them if they were going to start. I am definitely grateful that it is November 9th and we are sitting outside on our deck cooking hot dogs. (laughs) And it's so nice. In some of our last good weather. That's right. I I am grateful I got to have lunch with your mom today. Moose, you wanna go? Mm -hmm. What are you grateful for, Um, buddy? I'm grateful that I had a good day today. All right, Kenna, you're up. Oh, I'm grateful that I did well on my social studies. Gratitude. I think the obvious answer would be that I'm grateful for Gavin, but honestly, I would say I'm grateful that we're together. I never stop feeling grateful for the fact that we're all five together again and that we're, that we can bicker and argue at family dinners and have family game nights as awkward and terrible as those may be. (laughs) I think that is what I'm most grateful for is the fact that we're all still here. I am grateful. I'm not grateful that the accident happened to Gavin. I'm not grateful for everything that he has to go through. His recovery, you know, the injury is permanent until they figure out how to regrow brain cells. So everything we see about how amazing he is today is his own strength, which I've honestly never seen quite in someone before. Just, I'm going to overcome this. The support he has around him 
from his sisters, his mom, and his friends, and his aunts and uncles, and his therapists, and the doctors, and all these amazing people that have played in a role in his life that says, here's a kid who wants to get better, and please, he, <laughs> they're going to push him through it. And then there's one part that is unexplained. And every time a, a doctor walks in and sees his chart for the first time and sees this kid, it's like there's a correlation that these two things don't don't match. And, you know, whether you're religious or, or not, a lot of people meet him and they don't realize that they met a miracle, like the definition of a miracle. Every year on Cinco de Mayo, the family recognizes the anniversary of Gavin's accident by giving back. Drawing on Gavin's family nickname, they call it Moose Day. For Allie, this Moose Day marked a milestone. More of her life has now been lived post-accident than pre-accident. This Moose Day was the hardest, like, this year's. I stayed home from school. I've never done that. So it was a regular day. We'll bring donuts maybe to the firefighters or the hospital, which is what we did this year. And then we go to school, we come home, we eat dinner, we say thank you, we did something nice. Or we'll donate or we'll go to a ceremony or something like that. Which the day is always hard. And Gavin doesn't understand that. It's like a second birthday without presents. Like, he he loves Moose Day. Yeah. He's like, it's all about me. We get to talk about me. We say yeah. thank you for me. He loves Moose Day. And he gets to go see nurses and firefighters. But then this year, what you mentioned earlier, like, the fact that I've lived longer post-accident than pre, as of that day, that was so hard. I had never felt anything like that, of like, we're stuck in the after and we're not going back. It's not a bad dream anymore. It's a reality. You mentioned Gavin is the one that holds the family together. Tell me more about that. I don't think we would be who we are without him. I don't know how to describe it. When Gavin isn't here, when he goes to sleep over a play date, we kind of don't know what to do. <laughs> really? Well, it's just quiet. Mm. The house is like dead silent, which is, you know, partially because... Ten-year-old boys are really loud, but he's—it's like nobody really knows what to do because Gavin. I don't know. I think of him as the glue that holds his family together, which I think is any family, not just ours. I can't fathom not having him, which was a possibility. One of my favorite stories is. He's 10 now, but like early days, he picked out his shoes for the first time. And he picked out, I think he's probably four at the time. He picked out these like bright orange neon shoes. And he goes into uh, one of his many medical appointments, because they still have to this day. And he bursts open the door. And it's the same as any other medical waiting room that you've ever been to of just nobody's talking to each other. It's stagnant and stale and the air just feels awkward. You know, this four-year-old busts open the door and yells out to everybody, hey, everybody, check out my new shoes. And he goes to every single person, gets them lit up, and the whole room becomes a joyous place. And that's who he is to this day. He's very emotional. He, he may have, have never met you, but he will be very emotionally in tune to you and what you have going on and empathy off the scales of whatever it is. And even the personal humility to lead through difficulty without 
consciously leading through difficulty. You know, in his 11 surgeries, you know, he's been afraid and pieces, but he's always the bravest. <laughs> he's always the bravest one, no matter what, what we're facing. He's 10. Yeah. But like the miracle child, that's the miracle story. That is the word people use. And I, I don't ever want him to feel like we have the expectation of him being a miracle child all the time, which we do expect a lot of him from where he's come from. Like, he is very independent and will help him when he needs it. On the first day we sat down with the Swearingen's, they were planning to go do something that would have been too much to hope for eight years ago. They were preparing for their first backpacking trip with all five of them. Gavin would carry his own pack, a whole eight pounds for the hike. His sisters were prepping him for the experience. You want to do a big hike? Big hike. Oh, I think yeah. you're going to end up carrying a, a 64-pound moose. I'm not carrying your bag. How about when we find a big open space for us to place our tents? We could place our tents, Yeah. Um, like build them. And then we could uh, just hang out there and play one of the activity things while we rest our legs. Yeah. And then we can keep going. But so you have to you have to kind of earn your way to do backpacking. You have to be able to do like a couple mile hike without complaining. You don't have to carry anything. But they were nudging him along to try to go go probably even go further than they were expected to go on their first backpacking trip. He did very well, I think. He, there was some minor complaining, but I'm pretty sure we complained on our first trip, so. Sure, sure. His backpack yeah. was his size. It was. Yeah. Um, so it looked it a little strange. It was literally taller than him. I, was it like a floating backpack? It was. It was. Like it bobbed as he walked. Yeah, just, just hugely proud of his journey of strength. And it also tells the story of just how much the important role his big sisters have to play in his journey to get get him to do stuff. But he also slept in the middle between two sisters. So, I mean, there is still the aspect that they're going to keep him safe, too. <laughs> A weekend backpacking trip. Something so ordinary for so many families, and here it is extraordinary. The Swearingen's don't try to imagine too far into the future anymore. And while their friends appreciate that, they look ahead sometimes for them. What they see is a family's story that will continue to expand and touch more lives, no matter what comes next. Here's Brad's former boss, Denny Warner. I don't think he knows how far he's come, or how far he's, mm -hmm. That's how well far said. as a family they've come. I find that part when I talk with him and catch up, I think that part's amazing. Sometimes when a bad thing happens to a good person, it has these ripple effects, which are so much more profound. And I perceive that Gavin will grow up and he is going to be an inspirational speaker. And he will affect thousands of lives. Or he could have just been an engineer. There's always a Gavin story, always a Gavin story. And they seem to really enjoy him and enjoy each other. And I think that's such an amazing outcome for this family, right? The way that they, I don't know, that they continue to kind of interact as a family. And even like, you know, you got a 15-year-old 
almost 16 year old girl who's willing to go on a podcast to talk about her feelings. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's pretty great. Right. Um, because she loves him and, and she, and they, and they really do love, love their family. And that's just really, that's really neat. But yeah, they're Kenna and Allie have been, I think they've got that same spirit of their mom and dad of like, this is the work ahead and this is what we're going to do. Cause this is what you do for family. They are pursuing what they want to do without uh, like, well, when I finish this or when I finish that, like now is the time to do this and they do it not five years in the future, not 10 years in the future, but let's do it now. If this is what we want to do. I just think they have a big chunk of their life ahead of them. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine what they're going to do. Exactly. While firmly grounded in the present, this episode is called Tomorrow Finds Hope. It's a phrase Brad and Amanda in particular hold on to, and it comes from a special place. The story of that is really, really great. And so 2014 was Gavin's accident. I have no recollection of the Christmas of 2014, aside from the fact that I was just grateful we were there. Yeah, just just happy to be. But in 2015, we were talking about presents. And I, Brad asked me what I wanted, and I said, just something sweet from you. And our relationship had gone up and down and, and sideways because we were both trying, you know, trying to figure everything out. And uh, just something emotional. Like, I was like, I don't need stuff. I just please something from your heart. And so Christmas morning came, and there was a small box under the tree from Brad, and it was a necklace that Brad had had made. And it was a little simple silver disc that had the words, today knows a miracle, tomorrow finds hope. It was just this beautiful little simple silver necklace. And it was such a sweet moment because I knew that that took a lot for him to be looking forward with hope. You know, we both were still really struggling, emotionally processing, and it meant a lot. It really was one of those kind of, I don't want to say it's a turning point, but it was a a milestone for sure for us of knowing that we were starting to look forward, which is really hard to do when, you know, you're in this acute trauma stage. There's this idea of this perfect world that if you work hard and do these things, and I'm going to, you know, your kids are going to be, you or your kids are going to be the top at X, Y, or Z. The other side is, you know, life doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. For the Swearingen's, the driving force behind this podcast was to help others. That was and is clear for them to help families find more of the light than the dark side of trauma. I asked, what would they say to another family facing something similar? It's going to be okay. And I think when you're going through trauma, it can feel very hopeless at times. And and you look for a light and you just can't find a way out. And again, not in the way that you may think, but that there's people around you that are going to help you and that they love you, and that even if you feel alone or that you can't get through it, that 
tomorrow's going to be okay. And these things that you're dealing with today are going to look different tomorrow. And I'm not saying that tomorrow will get better, but the viewpoint on it may and in long term will. And getting through today is step one, but tomorrow is a is a new day and it's not as scary as it as it seems. It's terrible in the moment and it feels like it's never going to end. But then it slowly gets better. There's not a snap or a moment where it's all better, but then you kind of look back and you realize this is much better than it was before. And it's it's like when you're growing, you don't see it, but others around you do. When I start to kind of think of this whole story, sometimes it's easy to be angry mm-hmm. because why did this happen? Why does he have to, why does this have to be so hard? Why do we have to go through this? And I do feel angry sometimes, and that's okay, but I have to make a choice of saying, okay, that is not, that, I know where that path, where anger, the anger path leads, and it's dark, and it's alone, and it's not where I want to go. So I have to choose to walk towards the light and walk towards helping others and gratitude and perspective and just breathing and slowing down and saying, okay. But find someone that you know you can talk to that, you know, won't ask you questions or will give you the space or the comfort that you need and won't push and just find someone who would be willing to listen because that's the hard part is finding someone to listen to you and not just say it's okay. Love that, Kenna. Thank you. I would part by saying it's okay not to be fine. I find wow. I find us saying that a lot. People say, well, how are you doing? I'm fine. I don't oh, feel yeah. like fine is – I'm trying to remove it from my vocabulary. So I think that would be my parting wisdom, if you will, that. is that um, it is okay not to be fine. And if you if you want help, you have to ask for it. No one can read your brain. They won't Unfortunately. know. Yeah, you got to – you have to ask for that help in order to receive it, which is the hardest part, I think. Yes. We keep saying everything's the hardest part. I think everything is <laughs> hard. Everything's hard. If what you're going through is hard, it's not because you're doing it wrong. It's because it's really hard. And what a simple concept, but I cannot tell you the amount of times that I thought to myself, why am I not doing this better? Why can't I do this? I should be able to do this, right? Especially at the beginning, I did a lot of the, it could be worse. When you live in an ICU, you are not the worst case there. You are surrounded by, like in our case, we were surrounded by kids who did not make it. We were surrounded by kids who were worse off than our kid. And even in the everyday world, even now, going into a hospital or a doctor's office or whatever, like you always see a family that looks more frazzled than we do. And I know it's not fair to compare, but I, you look around and you say, oh, this could be worse. And we were given such a dismal diagnosis for Gavin that everything we have feels like a gift. When they tell you you're getting nothing, <laughs> everything feels like a gift. So I just know that I felt guilty. And I know I've used that word with you before, mm-hmm. and it has been a huge thing for me. I felt guilty when I got sad. I felt guilty when I got tired. 
I felt guilty when I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore. And I remember thinking, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I do this? And so now I hear Glory in my head, like, this is hard and it's okay. You're not doing it wrong. It's just hard. So that's that's huge for me. And I think we use that even on the everyday little things, like with our teenagers who are going through high school and middle school. This is hard, and it's okay. You're not doing it wrong. It's just hard. Someone mentioned to us early on who they had been through trauma, and he said, I am 100% sure you can make it through today. And that's what we say. We're like, I've made it through 100% of my bad days, and here we are. The Light with the Dark. This is a story of trauma, a story that is still being told and will continue to emerge. There's no neat bow to put on this story, and that's okay. This family has the knowing that they can hold all that trauma delivers and that none of it is neat. As Brad said, life doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. And while the Swearingen's aren't ones for making grand plans anymore because they know life is too unpredictable, they do have one idea, something they hope to make real in the future. A foundation for families, a place where families like theirs can experience hope, not for a return to before, but for a new way of moving forward to what's next. And so I want you to just imagine, you know, with everything we've been through, imagine you're this family that one of you, either all of you or one of you have experienced trauma. You're out of the scary, acute period and you're entering the unknown future period. And you feel afraid of what tomorrow brings because you don't know what it's going to be. You don't, you don't know if you're alone. You don't know how to get through it. You don't know if anybody else has even seen some of the same things you've done. And you pull on into a place where, if you just close your eyes and imagine it with me for a second, you're riding through this place and you pull in and it's, it's this forest. And you can hear nature and you can hear other kids playing and you can see a lake and you pull into this forest that is miles away from problems. And on this place is a foundation that when you pull up, there's other families that have gone through or are going through and know what it is that you're experiencing. And in that moment, those differences kind of melt away and you begin to feel safe. And you don't know how you're going to solve it, but you just begin to feel safe. And when you're ready, when those families are ready, there's this place to get advice from others where it's an opportunity that those problems aren't going to get solved, but these kids with unique abilities are going to have their superpowers enhanced. And, you know, and whatever those roads lead, I think that I can see it in my imagination, but I don't think it belongs in our imagination. I think that there's a place in this world for a foundation like that. And that's what, you know, after living through, after all of us living through this, that's what Tomorrow Finds Hope, I think, means. I feel like there's a place in this world for something like that. Tomorrow Finds Hope. This has been Threads Unseen, unraveling a story of trauma. For me, our team at Bloombase and our production partners, we want to thank everyone who participated in this journey 
for opening their hearts to us and sharing so bravely and vulnerably. Deep gratitude to the Swearingen family. Brad, Amanda, Allison, McKenna, and Gavin, thank you for your openness and courage in sharing your story and for sharing yourselves with all of us. A special thank you to family friends, Jenny and Jim Toller, Jessica Leland, and Katie Abernathy. Colleagues and friends, Ian Eaton, Janice Casal, and Denny Warner. To Gloria Hood, licensed marriage and family therapist, countless unmentioned first responders, medical teams, therapists, family members, friends surrounding this story and this family. Our director and producer is Becky Fisher. Production and creative direction by Maggie Phelps. Sound engineering by Kent Vernon. Production support by Molly Miller. Graphic design by Ashley Bella. Illustration by Seth LaGrange. And creative consulting by Stephanie Judge Kripe. And a special note to spotlight Ali Swearingen, whose piano playing you heard at selected points in these episodes. I'm your host and creator of Threads Unseen, Sherry Fella. I hope you carry with you the thread or threads that resonated for you in this story. And perhaps this unfolding unearthed something for you that remains to be explored. My hope is that you will answer its calling and I challenge you to take the brave step to not be alone in your learning. I invite you to continue the conversation with us at thisisbloombase.com. It's been a privilege to tell this story, to witness this family, and to know they are paving the way forward for all of us in our exploration of the unseen threads of our lives. Threads Unseen was produced by Bloombase. Visit thisisbloombase.com slash threads unseen to continue the conversation and support Brad and Amanda's vision of a foundation for hope.